Let's spread a song so you can sing along with one special guest or two. Or two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another spooky episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John. With me today is a man who's very much in demand this month, according to what he just told me before we started recording. It's Michael Verratti, everyone. Hello, hello. I am so excited to be back here, especially for the Halloween month and talking about a spooky musical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, this is happening this episode is right before halloween so just in time everyone and we're here today to talk about monster mash the movie right if you were not getting enough out of the song boy do we have news for you (laughs) there's a oh oh my god so the movie came out in 1995 it was written and directed by joel cohen and alex sokolow um and according to imdb Two teenagers get trapped in a house with Dr. Frankenstein, who wants to transfer one of their brains to his creature. The thing that really floored me is that this was released in theaters. (laughs) I Yeah, I always thought it was a TV movie. So that's a bit of a surprise to me as well. What's interesting is this film, uh, one of the taglines was in the spirit of Rocky Horror. I saw that that was used in some of the promotional material. And I guess I can see that. Like the conceit's the same. Sort yeah. of a, a square couple's car breaks down on a rainy night and they end up like at the spooky mansion where shenanigans are happening. Uh, and I do think there's a lot of lustiness in this movie, but in a very different way. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, like we need to get into that at some point. But yeah, I always was under the impression that this was sort of a a television movie. So to hear that it is uh, or was theatrical, it must have been a limited theatrical release. Because I'm assuming it's like one theater in, you know, middle of nowhere, America. Right. I mean, I was pretty tapped into uh, horror movies in the 90s and horror adjacent movies in the 90s. And if something like this came out, I feel like I would have known or tried to go, but maybe it just didn't reach where I was. Because I thought, well, so it stars Candace Cameron from Full House. Um, Uber, And, you know, re- later in life, she would be in the all the Hallmark movies and everything and become uber religious and whatnot. So I thought the way that they're acting and the goofiness that's happening is like 90s uh, WB, ABC Family. And then I read on the Wikipedia page that it was released in theaters and I just went, no, it's not. You're kidding. You're lying to me, (laughs) Wikipedia. What's really interesting about this movie for me is that I did discover it it later. It was a movie that... um, my uh, my kind of friend group and I, we always try and put together playlists of kind of forgotten gems or like, you know, Halloween commercials or Halloween specials to kind of fill up our October season. So we always have something on in the background. And uh, my partner was the one who found this a couple of years ago. He was like, did you know there was a Monster Mash movie? And I was like, no, what? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, I knew that Bobby Boris Pickett, who wrote the Monster Mash, had done uh, numerous attempts to kind of continue the fame of the song. Right. And he had recorded different novelty 
uh, tracks that followed like the monster swim or like date night with Dracula. I made up that one, but the monster swim is real. Um, and, uh, I didn't know how long that went on, but I was always kind of interested in like his whole deal. Uh, but this movie sort of escaped my attention and we watched it, I think in 2020 for the first time. And I was sort of like, okay, this is bizarre. And, it's one of those movies where it's like, is it good? I don't know. That's in the eye of the the beholder, but it's never boring. And what's really interesting to me about it is that you're right. It has this very of the moment of the 90s kind of vibe. But then like a lot of the humor has this sort of like quippy aside that feels very like Abbott and Costello, 1940s sort of like jocular japes that you can kind of see like the mindset of the people who wrote it as well as Bobby Boris Pickett himself. Like he's trying to do like the little, like this is my monster movie, but (laughs) I don't know that it entirely flies in 1995. And I don't know that it entirely works when you're also incorporating references to things like Beavis and Butthead and, you know, some of the other things that happen. Well, so Bobby Pickett, also wrote the show that this is based off of called I'm sorry the bridge is out you'll have to spend the night that is the name of the the musical show. right the musical yes uh where the monster mash song is not part of it they added it to the movie three times <laughs> <laughs> which the last time they do it it made sense like the whole movie made sense where you're like oh because it's a super cut of everything you watched to go with the song and you're like oh so this is what the movie was and then you just elaborate elaborated on that but i was like what is happening with this and then there's all the men are gross there's one song there's one point where dracula makes a cunt joke yeah he does i was like what is happening um but also the like so many kind of like subtly gay moments in this movie that i'm sort of obsessed with as well like for this time kind of shocking because uh sarah douglas who plays the countess when she's trying to seduce our lead boy she has that whole moment where he's she's like coming on to him and he's like what about your husband and she's like you can kiss him later and i'm just like what and and then at one point, too, he admits that one of his te- male teachers kissed him or to, like, raise the grade, his grade or something. And I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of what makes this kind of so fascinating is it's tonally everywhere. And so it's kind of one of these movies where you're like, who is this for other than people who just love wackiness? And luckily, I love wackiness. And so when you reached out about doing something for Halloween and we were kind of going back and forth about potential Halloween or spooky musicals that we could talk about, of course, there are so many tentpoles in the cult cinema canon, but it's also one of those things that no one else is going to be talking about this. This is like the Halloween treat or trick, depending on your perspective, um, that we're bringing to you today because this might be as far as i know the only time a podcast in the history of podcasts is going to cover the monster mash let's do it and we're doing we are yeah um so thank you for picking this it you know i thought it was going to be just like super bad like like bad bad like terrible but like there's just something about it that i wasn't sure if it was 
just like the 90s or it being actually camp or somewhere in the middle that I was just like, okay, I like there are moments where I was chuckling. Like I I really I really appreciated some of the jokes that happened. Um I didn't I didn't like the the terrible misogyny and the gross For men sure. that but I mean yeah they could have fixed that. But also um John Kassir I believe I'm saying his last name correct. Yeah, the Crypt Keeper, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. I mean, I, 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 you mentioned Rocky Horror, and obviously I got that, but I also got his character in Reefer Madness, the musical. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, I love where, Reefer Madness, yeah. Where it kind of, I was like, I know that that happens later in his filmography, but like this was like the start of that, it felt like. Um, but yeah, and Candace Cameron... <laughs> Well, I, I think that Candace Cameron in many ways is the outlier here. You mentioned John Kassir. I mentioned Sarah Douglas as the Countess. But that's something that's really kind of going to be uh, a curiosity to cult film fans or horror movie fans is that the people who populate the castle are a lot of like cult and B-movie stars and icons. We've got Mink Stoll from all of the John Waters movies playing the werewolf's mom. We have Sarah Douglas playing the Countess, and she's like famously uh, a villain in the Superman franchise, as well as a star of 1974's Dracula with Jack Palance. Yes. Uh, We've got, uh, you know, obviously Bobby Boris Pickett is known for being Mr. Halloween with the Monster Mash song. We've got John Kassir, who's the voice of oh, the, crypt the crypt keeper. keeper. I mean, even the fact that Adam Shankman, d- future director of Hairspray, is the werewolf in this. I it's just sort of wild, you know. I was floored when I realized that was him because you know you watch him and he plays the wolf man and he progressively gets more and more makeup on and obviously we're watch. I'm watch- I watched it on YouTube, so it's not the greatest quality. Yeah, so couldn't really see his face, but like. When I just when you, when you see his name at the end, I just was like, "What the fuck is happening?" Right. Oh, and of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that you know, television icon Jimmy JJ Walker is here as like the agent yeah. of Elvis, who is a mummy. Yes, it's that kind of movie. Everything mm-hmm. in the kitchen sink pops up in this film at some point. I do have a question. So with uh, so I kind of know like the the etymologies of these monsters, you know, like Dracula and Frankenstein and all that. And I just didn't know who the Countess is supposed to be. Natasha well, by name. I think that the Countess in every iteration of Dracula, there always is some sort of um, inclusion of Dracula's brides. Like if you watch the one with Keanu and, and Winona Ryder, there are the women in the basement. And uh, we always see kind of a version of Dracula where he has this kind of uh, following of ethereal women. And I just think for the sake of this musical and what they were doing, um, they needed to have another dynamic character and it made sense to just kind of take the bride concept and and create her. But she's really ferocious. Like in a way, she's one of the more interesting characters. She and is. it also it also makes uh, the fact that we have sort of like that Greek chorus of three girls who were always kind of roaming around singing. I the first time I watched that uh, this I thought oh are they supposed to be Dracula's brides and I was like well no that doesn't make sense because we also have the countess so they're just kind of there also to kind of be our like doo-wop girls of the damned you know um <laughs> you you are saying things for the Instagram post I can tell right now <laughs> I'm here for it though it's easier to pull it out <laughs> 
but yeah, you know, I got I thought they were supposed to be the brides as well. But I was just like, are you supposed to be Mina or what's the other one's name from Dracula? I don't remember right now. But like, you know, there are people in the Dracula story lore. Um, well, and famously, after the Bela Lugosi Dracula from the 30s, uh, Universal immediately followed it with a sequel called the uh, Dracula's Daughter that Dracula does not appear in. And so it's a uh, a woman who is uh, a countess uh and she preys on young maidens it's this like very kind of lesbian pre i think pre-code uh horror movie or uh and she uh has over the years maintained some sort of visibility with horror fans i don't know if the countess here is supposed to be an allusion to that character which of course wouldn't make sense because it's his wife and not his daughter but this whole movie plays with what we know about any of these characters anyway so yeah, like making the mummy into Elvis. Where so I was I was reading on the Wikipedia page and they have a whole like section on how it's different from the stage musical and like they change character names. Uh obviously Elvis was a new thing because the show came out in like the 60s I want to say. Oh, yeah, yeah so 1967. He, he still would have been alive at that He point. was still alive, but there was still a mummy. It right. just wasn't named. And then, yeah, and like you said, that uh, the they call the the three urchins or the, um, what'd you call them? Oh. The, the doo-wop group of the damned. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're called the dragulets in the, mm. but like there's some characters that they cut from the, from the show, which I'm like, there's already so many characters in this. Like everyone has, uh, a goal in mind that they want to like do some dirty somewhat sexual things to these two humans also i was expecting these humans to like rip off their faces and be like we're aliens surprise right. like <laughs> i i at, towards the end i was like i wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden they're just like the creatures from the black lagoon or something like yeah, you know what I really kind of keyed in on this time is just so how everything is at 11 and everything's absurd. Like, there is not a choice that's really logical in this other than to lean into camp. And knowing that it came from a stage musical, and even though they made a lot of changes from musical uh, to film, when I was watching it this go round, I thought to myself, okay, Thinking of this in the context of a stage, this really kind of feels like a panto. You know, the idea that everything yeah. is very, like, um, very uh, heightened. And the songs are really kind of there, but also irrelevant. They just add to the heightened nature. And I was thinking to myself, you know, is this a great movie? Maybe not, but it would be an awesome panto to go see at Halloween. If you were just sitting in an audience and these people were just going, bah, the entire time, you would be like, this was great. I'm so glad I spent money on this. But I don't know if that energy translates to screen in the way. And I, I don't even know if they realize that's kind of what they encapsulated. Because also, like you said, who is this for? Like, I, I don't know if this is supposed to be for teenagers, if this is supposed to be for adults, if this is supposed to be for, like, families. Because there, there is, like something for everybody but i feel like a lot of what is being said is a little too mature for like 
Yeah, it's way too horny for a family movie. Like, everybody just wants to bone these two once they arrive at the castle, except for the doctor who wants their brains. But part of the deal with the brains is that he's going to swap the brains around so sexy times can still happen for somebody. (laughs) So it's sort of just like the castle of Hanky Panky and other various macabre situations, you know? The The other thing that was... An interesting choice is that Scott and Mary, who are our leads, the human leads, don't react to anything. Like, at least in Rocky Horror, which is clearly like the jumping off point for the movie. I can't speak for the show because the show happened before Rocky Horror happened. But for the movie, uh, like in the movie version of Rocky Horror, Susan Sarandon and Barry Bostwick are reacting. They are like, yeah. oh my God, this is creepy. Oh no, what's happening? And in this movie, they're, they're fucking dum-dums. <laughs> well, it's it's sort of, he, Scott, seems like he's more into it. I, I think that he never really reacts other than like, this is fun. You know, the idea that they were supposed to be going to a Halloween party and they ended up at one where everyone's kind of turned up in like uh lusty. And he was just like, all right, this works. Whereas she is sort of, I don't want to say the moral compass because I don't think she does anything overly, uh, you know, heroic or moral throughout the movie other than kind of um, disapproves. But I do think it's funny knowing what we know about Candace Cameron, that here she is amongst sort of all these like nigh, like flamboyant and draggy people. And she's just kind of like, I don't like this. I'm like, yeah, girl, we know. (laughs) (laughs) Trust. We know. Like I had a lot of expectations going through this where I was like, okay, so Mink Stoll is the mother of the wolf man. But there's, there was that scene that she had with Frank, with Frankenstein's creation that I was like, is she going to be the bride? Are we going to play? Because at, at this point, at, at like throughout the movie, I'm just like, I'm expecting everything. Because when they shoehorned in the Monster Mash, the song. At the dinner like, table. At the dinner table. With some light hand choreography. Um, <laughs> what I think is really interesting is there's so much going on. And yet, I also don't know that they ever give anyone enough to do if that makes sense you know mink stole to me is such a dynamic performer i love her in all of the john waters movies i think of just like how she takes her character in serial mom from like beleaguered suburban like house person to like that scene in the courtroom where she's going nuts on kathleen turner and so then you have her here as the werewolf's mother and like her whole kind of goal is to just marry the werewolf off she gets like a number that's in the middle of the movie and and sort of speaks to that. But then she doesn't really get to do much herself, if that makes sense. And I think that that's kind of true of so many of them. Like we get kind of glimpses of what their storyline is, but there's so many storylines. Mm-hmm. How are we going to tie everything up? And in some cases we actually don't. Like, well, I mean, the ending is a lot of them fail because it had to do with our leads and, a lot of the storylines are like, we need a virgin to do this thing, which is so weird. But I get it. I mean, it. Hocus Pocus is is literally cruxed around a, a virgin as well. So, But I mean, everyone is like, oh, we need a virgin sacrifice. Oh, I want to drink the virgin blood. Oh, right, right, oh right. I need a person's brain. I, I mean, the brain one made sense because he was like, I just need a brain. 
And Scott out of nowhere is actually a genius. <laughs> like he? that one, that one threw he, me. Yeah. Or is he just there? You know? <laughs> well, he talked about how he was on the Dean's list and he's like a physics major or something. And I was like, oh, so you're not a total idiot as you seem to be. Huh? Yeah. But- I mean, I think that uh, there was just so much happening that uh, maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe I, I would like to think maybe there are things we missed. Actually, I will say in my second watching, uh, there were things that I noticed relating to kind of a reverence to classic monster movies that I didn't see the first time I watched this. Because the first time I watched this, I much like most viewers, was probably like, what is happening And then upon second viewing, I realized how kind of smart some of their homages to classic monsters and the universal monster cycle were. Like, there's the sequence when Mink Stoll first meets Candace Cameron, where she looks at her hand. She's like, can I see your hand? And when she looks at it, she's like, great, let me introduce you to my son. That's because in the old werewolf movies, if you were afflicted by a werewolf, the the sign of a pentagram would appear in your hand to certain people. So she was checking to see that Candace was not already a wolf. Uh... And I was just like, you wouldn't notice that because they don't point, they don't draw attention to it but it's like oh that's really smart because she's the mother of a werewolf so she's of course going to be on the lookout for other werewolves and it's just like all right this movie's got way more going on than we think it's just because it's like such a stew of insanity that you might be missing the good potatoes while like filtering through the broth i also picked up on some maybe reference to young frankenstein like i know young I know Young Frankenstein and Rocky Horror both jump off of the Frankenstein story by Mary Shelley, which, hello, Mary, being named Mary. Uh, A lot of what John Kassir did with especially the whole song, Play Your Hunch. (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm happy they dubbed her in the second her other song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is literally the next one, one night like this, on a night like this, where I really just like shout, like all caps are dubbing, and then these two are dum dums because that's what, the, that's what they are the whole the whole movie. They're supposed to be smart, but they're complete oblivious idiots to what's happening about the, around them. Um, was, was there other like lore that you could find? about what they or what you read into um you know what's interesting is the first thing that immediately comes to mind is not monster lore but the fact that when uh igor first meets the mummy elvis he he says robert goulet's name a couple times and uh, i only know because i recently watched that netflix animated series agent elvis that apparently elvis and robert goulet did not get along and there's like some sort of storied rivalry between them so the fact that uh they even were referencing this here uh, is kind of funny to me. But no, I think that there's a lot of of just little stuff peppered throughout that is um, a loving homage to that cycle of drive-in era horror movies. And it makes sense because Bobby Boris Pickett with the Monster Mash was responding to that at the time that he wrote the original song. And so like he is more going to be in line with that kind of monster thinking, then 
anything else that's going on in, in the 90s, which is why some of this feels extremely dated, even for the time, because it is. The jokes are old in setup and sensibility, while also trying to marry things that would have been relevant. And of course, some have aged terribly, because obviously there's a, a Donald Trump joke in this. There's a Bill Cosby joke in this. Uh, but at the time, of course, they could have never known, right? But those were those were also current in their own way. And uh, it's just so interesting, like what works, what's timeless about it and what isn't timeless about it and how that's why it's probably a curiosity right now that if you're interested in it is waiting to be discovered. I'm just looking up because they talk about, oh, so, okay. In this movie as well, they made a Hillary Clinton (laughs) reference, but this is apparently before all of that came to be about Bill and Monica and all that. So I was just like, this is fascinating that you're making these jokes and references that, I mean, I am struggling to remember uh, because I'm in my old age now, but, um, <laughs> but like there, I, I was just wondering, you know, like whoever the target audience is, I'm assuming it's young adults like the ones that would have gone to the 50s B drive-in movies but like for the 90s crowd those are the people that they're targeting for but i'm like do they understand all of these references that you're making as jokes like i i didn't realize about the Robert Goulet one there's they they make a lot of like adult humor quote unquote but it's not it's for it's for of a, a people of a certain age. I mean, not the target. I feel like, and I do think contextually speaking, if you think about this particular era of entertainment, uh, something that we don't really get now, or we get in a very different way, is genre material that is purposefully zany and wacky, like in an almost um, surrealistic style. Because I think about around this time when Goosebumps was popular and Are You Afraid of the Dark was popular, there were a lot of uh, other attempts at trying to like grab onto that like YA horror and spin Mm -hmm. it into a different space. And there was a show for a period of time on the Fox Kids Network called Bone Chillers that Linda Cardellini was in. And it was actually very popular. But when the network changed like owners, they just like axed the whole slate. And if you watch that, it is sort of like, what if a bunch of kids who had like Jim Carrey level energy went to a haunted high school? And so like when you watch it now in 2023 and all those episodes are on YouTube, they're very interesting. Um, it's just like manic. It's just like, oh my God, the, the teacher is a zombie or like the Franken turkey has come to life on Thanksgiving. And it's like, that's that's literally a plot of an episode. And everybody's just like, ah, there's like not exactly like rooted pathos. It's like cartoony. And we see that a lot with kind of like Nickelodeon of the era and some of the kind of um, pop culture things of the era. And this feels to me so of the time because you're going to have kids and young adults tuning into television specials and television and movies that have that level of energy that kind of doesn't exist pop culturally anymore. And so this probably was the kind of thing that they were hoping like, oh, throw it on at your Halloween party. And that's what it is. It's not, I don't know that anybody was like, we're making the Citizen Kane of Halloween musicals. (laughs) Um, But it's sort of just like wacky fun. 
it it and yeah yeah and there's there's a lot of like slapstick that happens like they do a lot of cartoony jokes as well like with um jj whatever the his character's name the mummy's manager hold on let me see if i can't find it uh hathaway that's right because i was just like why is his name hathaway anyway um a lot of the stuff that happens to him is a lot of like you know a door opens up in his face there's a moment where he falls down the balcony onto the onto his back and miraculously lives like there's a lot of zaniness with him and then i believe there's like a chase scene at one moment i don't know my brain is slowly for deleting this movie (laughs) but it was it it was a weird movie it was oddly like semi-gay friendly yeah i mean it's semi-gay friendly while also having some of the kind of patriarchal issues that you discussed earlier and how it handles women but also interestingly enough like the the women who have agency in the movie really have agency in the movie and the women who don't just don't like and so there's a weird imbalance throughout but i think that that's just kind of par for course with all of this like this whole time we're talking about it's fun but it's totally weird who's this for it could be for these people but it may be for these people it's like these characters really have agency but do they really it's sort of a movie that's just kind of like good luck you know i guess we'll see (laughs) we tried we yeah. tried we did they're um, like look you are sitting on the couch with your bag of trick-or-treat candy it's just like eat another rollo and shut up like that's basically what they're telling us you know we we know you're fucked up in some way shape or form because <laughs> it's halloween so figure it out um there was something i did want to talk about but i kind of i completely forgot about it right now uh oh so there's there's some music that was written for the show that they put in Sheldon Alleman and Bobby Pickett, who wrote the show, also wrote the music. But then there's like, I feel like there's additional music by J. Michael Troiano and Jeffrey Zahn that was added for the movie. I can't really find anything that says that. It's interesting that like there's these two writing couples writing the music, but it all feels the same. It all feels like it's from one hand. And then there's the Monster Mash, which is Bobby Pickett and Leonard L. Capizzi. Well, I think probably the reality is, is that Bobby Pickett, who did co-author the music in the musical as well, right? I believe. Uh, Co-wrote and wrote the music, yes. Yeah. He, by creating the Monster Mash, even though the Monster Mash was not in the original musical, kind of sets the tone for what all the other songs are going to be. Like, I think there is a shtick that everybody knows that this is kind of what we're doing Um, because while all of the songs are not the monster mash nor constructed like it, there is that kind of quality where it's like in the monster mash or any of subsequent uh, Bobby Boris Pickett songs, like the aforementioned monster swim it's sung, but not really. It's sort of like, I'm telling you kind of what's going on through some like kind of funky jam that's happening. And, uh, and so I think that they just kind of took that to heart uh it, in some ways maybe the music is the one thing that's tonally unified throughout like it's one of the only things that like is fairly consistent whether it works or not it's just it's just it's, yeah yeah <laughs> have you seen the show have you ever heard of the show prior to this movie or outside of this movie 
Um, I have not. But what's really interesting about it is high schools, I think, still do it or community theaters still do it because I've done research and seen like photos of people doing productions of it. And I've seen like playbills from like regional productions of it. And so now there's kind of like a part of me that's like, and maybe not high schools. I don't know. I'm just assuming based on some of the photos I saw. Uh, but it does seem to still happen. I think you can probably still license the book, I assume, from like Samuel French or someone like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, here in uh, Los Angeles, in, in the greater Los Angeles area, I know that Burbank is doing Night of the Living Dead, the musical. Their high school is doing that right now. So it's like wow. people are looking for this time of year to do this kind of stuff. And I'm sure that somebody in some theater office is like, I don't know if we can do Little Shop or Rocky Horror one more time. You know, let's try something else. And so I'm sure that once in a while this does get picked up. And of course, on paper, if you see musical written by the creator of the Monster Mash, that's like that's like a little like blurb on the poster. People are going to come if they don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like I don't I don't know if the show is any different tonally. Right. But I mean, I feel like. Well, like I said, I could date night. Yeah, I think the show would maybe even in some ways work more. Like I said earlier, when I think of it as a panto, I think if the energy of this movie was in front of my face with live actors, I would probably leave the theater being like, what a splendid evening. Like, this was a great time. You know? Oh, my God. I would love to do, see this as like a, a a shadow cast or something, you know, where the movie's playing in the background and there's actors in front reenacting it and being zanier if that's even possible well what we need then is some sort of remaster of this movie because like you said the youtube quality is a little uh pixelated at best but yeah if anyone has a vhs copy (laughs) (laughs) that can digitize it uh i'm a i'm i i don't actually know if this actually was released i'm assuming it was because it's on youtube but I do think it got a VHS release. I don't know how you find it unless you're looking on like eBay or something. And I do know that in some markets it was alternatively released uh, under the title Frankenstein Sings, which is funny because he's really the only character. Well, I guess Bobby Boris Pickett plays Dr. Frankenstein, but the monster never sings. And uh, people forget that the monster is not called Frankenstein. (laughs) Well, I mean, um, that's a that's a lengthier discussion for another day. But like in (laughs) what when they're saying Frankenstein's monster when they have when you see frankenstein's monster people call it frankenstein yes the design of him in this is just odd because they're going for really goofy really goofy but basing it off of the hollywood design of frankenstein because i i haven't read the book i uh mary shelley's book have you read it I have, but I, you're right. It is it is based off the Hollywood design, but also the um, the modifications are as such that it evokes it without being it. And I'm wondering, because I think Jack Pierce, who did the makeup for the Boris Karloff monster, I think for a while that makeup specifically was copyright. But I think the movie's so old now that it might have passed into public domain that it can be used. But like, that's why the monster like is the green with the bolts and the kind of flat top. But it has like a very different appearance than mm-hmm. uh, like the, the ooh, like he has more of a of a chin and the brows are like out more, which yeah. give him a freakish looking face. 
And I gotta say, I love Frankenstein. The <laughs> Frankenstein's monster in this. He was great. And then especially the joke at the end where because the monster does talk, which is right. funny to, from the get, but then at the end he's just like, oh, I can't with these people. <laughs> <laughs> um, So I would be remiss before we end this episode uh, to not share that this past year um, I wrote and directed the Chainsaw Awards for Fangoria that aired on Shudder, which is sort of like the horror like uh, Oscars. That's the, the way they like, we like to talk no about No big it. deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was really great uh, to, to do that. And it was a lot of work and it does tie into this conversation because uh, we actually had Mink Stoll come and do one of the awards. She was the presenter for, I believe, um, Best Costume. She and Thomas Decker were presenters for Best Costume. And so while we were on set, I was talking to Mink, who I, I know and have met several times in the past because we toured together in 2010, and she's a really lovely person. But I had never seen this movie until recently. So I was like, Mink, I have to tell you, we have seen this movie that you were in Uh the monster mash and she kind of looked at me like what and i was like yeah and she's well and she said she was like well how did you see it and i had to tell her i was like well it's on youtube and she earnestly was like you know what that movie's a lot of fun i was or at least she's had a lot of fun making it and she she shared that she and adam shankman had a blast on set she also was like it's weird she's like it is a weird movie but she was thrilled to have it brought up because you know that usually people probably bring up you know pink flamingos or female trouble to her but i have a, i have a sense that this was the only occasion that we got to uh talk about monster mash so when i knew we were talking about this i was like oh i need to make sure that i mention the fact that i did get a chance to talk to mink about it uh, and, that so she, nice. and that she was pleased yeah i mean you could tell that they were all having fun like they they all understood what they're doing like nobody nobody really stood uh, uh stuck out like a sore thumb and I, I don't know. I thought I, I had a good time, you know. And then I, and then I went to work after watching this. But I was like, okay, cool, we did it. We watched this, uh, <laughs> this movie. Um, but is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? Uh, no. I just think that this movie is one of those where um, it certainly has been lost to time, and I think that it's odd. And I think because it's odd, there might be some kind of aversion to maybe checking it out, but it's weird enough that it's worth checking out. Yeah. I mean, I probably wouldn't suggest watching it by yourself. No, I it's, did. <laughs> it's way more fun with, with, uh, with friends. Um, we were actually uh, laughing because uh, my partner and I rewatched it together uh, in preparation for the podcast and ever since, because it was a couple nights ago, like I'll be uh, in the kitchen doing something and he'll walk by and he'll be like, I'm sorry, but the bridge is out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I will be giving this a rewatch because it's just fun. Um, but let's get into Strap and Flat, shall we? Yes. Sharp Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. I want to start with flats because we've been having such like a fun conversation. Let's end on a high note. More music puns. Uh, I only really have two flats, but like they're pretty big. My first one is like how creepy the men are towards Mary. Um, Specifically Mary, because like once she enters into the house, like nobody else exists. Even like 
even Wolfie at points is a little creepy. I thought yeah. I thought at least he was going to be the our saving grace, but he wasn't. Sorry, Adam Shankman. Um, and then my other flat is for the needle drop that happened when they made the Sun Yi joke. They did a very like a- Asian. Yeah, it it, it yeah. was not great. It was definitely not. It was great. not great. And I was like, come on, guys, we're in the 90s. You should know a little better than this. But other than that, I really I couldn't really find any other flats. But like those are pretty big, in my opinion. So, yeah. And I would echo those. I think that those are really valid critiques of this. I think my flats are uh, the reliance on too, uh, too many contemporary references yes. that have not aged well. Um, I mean, and most of them I know because I'm an old now, but like if we're trying to introduce this movie to new people, a lot of those are not going to land. You know, I think some of the vaudeville humor in this and some of the kind of like old timey, like 40s zingers, that always is funny. But then if it's like immediately followed by, I referenced Beavis and Butthead earlier, so I'll just stick with that, but like a Beavis and Butthead joke or even kind of the 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 kind of rule, comedy rule of threes where Sunyi is mentioned. Like some people aren't even going to know who those people are. So it's kind of right. like, okay, you've, you've locked this into a, um, a not so evergreen space. I mean, comparing this to Rocky Horror is apples and oranges, despite the fact that they plot, plot wise are very similar. But one thing that really works about Rocky Horror, other than hearing Richard Nixon on the radio at the beginning when Brad and Janet are driving, once they're in that castle, that could be any time. It's just two squares who wandered into some insanity. Mm-hmm. And and so that's that's there's a timelessness to it. So that's a flat for me. Um, but a flat I can overlook mostly because I do like pop culture. But it, it is it is something that I don't think is to the film's benefit. And then I actually think a flat is something that you you referenced earlier is when Candace Cameron does the song with John Kassir. She's singing in her own voice. And then when oh. she does the song with uh, Scott, they dub over her with another singer. Look, it's not that Candace <laughs> needed to like, here's the thing. How do I phrase this? She's not, she's not a singer. And I think that she would even say that, but when you She's follow, not what yeah. <laughs> but when you follow her real voice with like a studio recording voice it just makes it all the more obvious what has happened because it's like a, it's a such a huge tonal shift and because they are subsequent songs it's not even like we have a couple songs in between so you can forget about it it's like you hear her just kind of making it through the song with John Kassir and then the next song it's just like bam so it's kind of like I don't know I think that's a flat because it actually is a disservice to everybody to her because it like I'm sure you know highlights the shift for her and it also is just kind of like okay what why 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 could we have just not either had her do both and we would have just lived with that and that's fine or had the, the dub over be for both yeah I could see that um okay Let's get into sharps then. So I sharped that Frankenstein's doorbell is over the rainbow. Yes. <laughs> I I was just like, you got me. You got me movie. Um, I also sharped Iger playing his hump like a bagpipe. I watched this movie like in two parts, one at home and one at Starbucks because I had a I had a, an appointment in between. And I believe I was in Starbucks at that point. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> What's going on? 
I also sharped the cut joke because it came out of nowhere. It came. It, it's also really fucking funny while also being subtle. Like it's one of those if you don't know what he just said, you miss it because he doesn't say the word. Right. Just yeah, that's that vaudeville humor I'm talking about. Like it's such a zinger where you actually have to think about it. It's a smart joke. Um, and then my last sharp is for the uh, monster mash at the end when they super cut the movie to make sense to the song. And I was just like, yes, this is a great music video for this song from the hour and 20 minutes that I watched before (laughs) or however long this movie is. Oh my God. Right. Hour and 20. It's a short. Yeah. Hour and 20. It's a short one. And it just ends. Like when they leave the house, it's just like, okay, bye credits. You know, (laughs) granted when he, when, um, What's his name? uh, Bobby Boris Pickett sings Monster Mash earlier. I was just like, there's 30 minutes left in this movie. What is happening in the next 30 minutes of this movie? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. What are your sharps? Well, my sharps uh, probably will come as no surprise because I already praised this earlier, but uh, I'm going to give a sharp to the cast. I think that everybody knows what movie they're in and they show up. This is certainly a film where nuance gets thrown out the door and big is better and they all know it and they're all having a good time i think specifically it's real easy for me as a fan of cult cinema to you know single out mink and i did and of course i love sarah douglas but i think a lot of credit needs to be paid here to john kassir because he is going for broke throughout this whole movie when he's doing his like stella on the stairs you know the thing is about Bobby Boris Pickett, he sticks to the persona of the character that he sings the Monster Mash in. And it's that kind of like dry, very Boris Karloff, like you nincompoop. And that's fun, but that alone is not going to keep the energy of the movie up. So John Kassir has to be like a foil for that. So as sort of dry as Bobby Boris Pickett is, Kassir is like always at 11 and it could get annoying. And at times he does push that boundary, but... I always am kind of like amused where he keeps it. And so I really, really like the cast. I also think that um, I would sharp a lot of the humor. I think that, you know, with the exception of the things we've already said are problematic or kind of fall flat, the actual thoughtful, timeless dialogue remains funny like all of the jokes that feel like they came right out of like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein still make me laugh like there's the whole scene at the beginning when they first arrive and uh Bobby Boris Pickett is showing Candace Cameron something and he pulls the bag out and she's like where did you get that old bag and he's like I've known her for years referring to Mink Stoll and it's just like again it's that kind of thing where it's like what and then it's just they don't wait for you to laugh they just keep going going, and that's fun and so I think that's that's it. This movie really, in both of those uh, examples that I have given sharps to, both the cast and the humor, it's because it's about energy. This movie keeps the energy going the whole time. and um, Which is surprising that there isn't a dip. No, I mean, and that that's it. Like, you know, I think I said it at the top, like, is this good? I don't know, but it's not boring. It's actually a lot of fun. And so maybe it is good in its own unique way. Well, I mean... You, you've obviously watched it a couple of times. Your partner makes references to it. So I think we, 
good or bad is not the question here. I think if it's fun or not is the question and you've answered that it's fun. Yeah. And it is a fun movie. And I think this is true of like all cinema really. I think that we have in this kind of like post meta score, Rotten Tomatoes era, we get so worried about, um, you know, a movie. Is it good? Is it bad? Does it, you know, does it work? Does it not? But honestly, I do think that if a, you need to look at a movie for what it set out to do and sort of like what it, what it's trying to do within the confines of the world it's creating. And I think by and large, this movie tells us what it is and then it does that. So I can't be mad about that. No. Uh, would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? I mean, I'm just well, going to add the Monster Mash. Well, yeah, I was going to say the reality is, is I work in horror. Uh, Halloween is such a huge part of my life. The Monster Mash is already on so many playlists of mine that it already is part of the soundtrack of my life. And you know what? It's fun. It never ceases to delight me. I think it is, you know, the rare example of a novelty song that continues to persist because it's actually just joyous. So, um, yeah, in a way, it's a no-brainer to pick the Monster Mash. Because um, I'm not going to lie, I can't hum a single tune from the rest of no. the this song list. No, and I, I think that's fine. And I think in a way, they kind of knew that. Like, you know, the other songs are there in a... They're not bad, but they're not memorable. Whereas the Monster Mash is kind of a perennial classic for, you know, 50, 60 years now. So. Which I read that... I. He either rewrote lyrics or they re-recorded it for the movie. So now I'm not sure which one I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds pretty close. I will say that. Okay. Because I had a moment after reading that being like, wait, do I know the Monster Mash mo- like version from this movie? Or do I know the one from like the 60s that predates the show? I believe I saw that too. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I think that, uh, if you know the Monster Mash, you know, the Monster in, any, Mash. In, in any of its forms, you know, the Monster Mash. Uh, well, Michael, on that note, we're done at the episode. This is a very fast episode. It just sure like was. This movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you have to plug or promote? Uh, well, you know, we are just now kind of coming off the strikes. The writer's strike is over, but the actors, as of the time of this recording, are still negotiating. So things are really just starting to pick up. Uh, I do have a couple movie projects that I had written, and uh, one of which I also directed, that are in post right now that were made before all the strikes happened. Uh, and one is a horror movie that's coming out soon, but I don't have a firm date yet. So I'll just tell people to kind of keep an eye on socials or IMDb, and that will be announced soon. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Midnight Mass comes out every other Wednesday at midnight, and you can keep up with us on at Midnight Mass Pod on X, as well as uh, wherever podcasts are found. And I'm always promoting whatever nonsense I'm up to on my social medias. I'm at Michael Verratti on Twitter. Let's just call it Twitter. That X thing makes me nuts. And Instagram. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's that's what I got. The awards already happened, I'm assuming. The Shutter yeah. Awards. They came out uh, in May of uh, this past year, Um, and it was great. It was a really wonderful experience. I got to work with so many cool uh, creators and colleagues and also people that I've been watching my whole life. Uh, So it was was a lot of work. Uh, Anytime you watch an award show, please know that that is a grueling experience 
for everyone who makes it happen. Um, But it was also a lot of fun. And, you know, unlike the Oscars or the Golden Globes, which are, of course, legendary fancy events, we got to have like spooky skeletons and like, you know, walls made of like slime and shit like that. So, you know, we we got to have fun with it. And I got to like do skits with monsters and things. So we had it. We had fun. It was a, a, a television special where we gave some awards away in between. That sounds like so much fun. Um, and if you are doing a production of, uh, crap, what's the name of this show again? I'm sorry, the bridge is out. You'll have to spend the night. I'd like to hear about it. Uh, you can email me at butasongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram. I also call it Twitter and TikTok at butasongpod. Even though I'm not really on Twitter, I still promote it because, you know, maybe one day somebody will reach out there. Um, uh, tell us... Tell us what you thought of this movie. Um, did did you see it in theaters? Oh my god, I would love to have somebody be like, I saw this in 1995 in the theaters. My partner and I, blah blah blah. I'd love to hear that story. Um, Me too. I mean, like, I would like to know. Do you know when in 1995 it came out? No. Uh, according to IMDb, it was released November 14th, 1995, in the U.S. Hmm. And that's well, sorry that well, that says that's the video premiere, but I don't know if honestly, I don't know if this I could have sworn I saw, yeah, the film was was theatrically released on November fourteenth nineteen ninety five and that's according to the Wikipedia page. well, if it came out in November, so nineteen ninety five my thinking is well, showgirls would have already been out for two months, so people would have already seen that and had their lives changed, so they should have gone to see the monster mash musical <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and had their lives changed yet again, yes, uh, and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, well, unfortunately, this is the end of spooky season on the podcast, and we're going back to regular a uh, regular stuff and we're doing stop making sense the docu film yay thing. michael thank you so much for letting me harangue you to coming back on and oh. giving you the task of like finding a musical movie that y- you would find interesting <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you were down to do this movie because, like I said, I d- I think we are going to be the only people this Halloween season who are doing a celebration of Monster Mash the Musical. So yeah, and everyone, it's on YouTube. Seriously, watch it. Like, put it on at your party if you're having one, and take an edible and enjoy. Exactly. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> uh, well, thank you everyone for listening, and bye for now. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.